In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. As uh, Spencer mentioned earlier, this is our final worship service here at Spirit of Joy. We can look around, we can, a lot of memories have been made in this place. Uh, We've been worshiping here for four years. Um, This is our longest season of location stability in the life of our church. We started six and a half years ago uh, as a church community, late summer 2015, we finally started worshiping, or started meeting together. We started with Meals in Homes for about nine months, uh, and then Intentional Discipleship for another nine months, 18 months of, it's all kind of under the soil, nothing much was happening publicly. And then we began worshiping together, and a few times in a brewery, then weekly in a tiny prayer room, that was okay, it was, it was an okay space, it was kind of loud. Uh, and then weekly in a tiny prayer room, and uh, as Spencer mentioned earlier, an even tinier food pantry. It's a true story if you want to hit one of us up for, about that story later. And then we landed here in February 2018, um, four years ago. And for two years, it was kind of steady as she goes. We were learning to worship. We were getting into this rhythm. People were beginning to be able to find us. Uh, a lot of you uh, first uh, came to the table uh, during that season. Weekly worship, uh, table groups, DNA groups, and then I remember February 2020, I started hearing about like some news stories about this new virus people were a little bit worried about. And then uh, in March, March 15th, 2020, I looked it up, we suspended in-person worship and we went online. We worshiped together on Zoom for what I assumed would be, I don't know, maybe a couple weeks, a month, two months at the most. But of course, two years later, here we are. It was way longer than that. For almost two years, we've been tracking cases and CDC guidelines and news stories and the mental health effects of isolation and masks, Zoom meetings, discerning together how to best care for each other and keep our communities safe. And it's been really hard. It's been really hard. And now our season of sharing this worship space with Spirit of Joy is coming to an end. And we're moving to a new space a few miles down the road. If this is your first Sunday with us, uh, don't come back here next Sunday. (laughs) We'll we'll have more to say about it uh, later, but we're going to be meeting at Broadway United Methodist Church, and we're changing the time as well. We're meeting at 10.30 a.m. on Sunday mornings, just a few miles down the road. So in the midst of all this change in the last six and a half years, I'm grateful that one thing has remained constant for our community And it has to do with the way that uh, we felt led to begin this church, to start this church. Um, We we, we started it in a very specific way so that what binds us together as a community is not an amazing show on Sunday mornings, clearly. (laughs) And I I take responsibility for that, too. I, I usually review these slides, and I did, you know, yesterday. I was like, okay, looks good. Totally missed the Nicene Creed not being in worship. So, so clearly, what binds us together is not an impeccable show on Sunday mornings. Nor is it the preaching gift of one person. Nor is it charisma or charm or entrepreneurial energy or lots of money. Instead, we, we decided to put all of our chips in on love. Organizing our life together around learning to take love Seriously, as that which binds us together and empowers our witness in the Holy Spirit. And throughout these six and a half years, love has sustained us. Love has empowered us. 
Love has held us together and drawn us all here. And love is going to continue to carry us into our next season of life together. Beloved, in the midst of the anxiety and excitement of our community moving into a new context, love abides. And love will hold us together. God's love flows among us. And as we consent to participate in this love, we grow together into maturity as the Spirit-graced body of Christ. Let's trust love to hold us as we walk into this next season of our life together. For many of us, I'm preaching from 1 Corinthians 13, if it's not clear. But for many of us, Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 13 are associated with what? Weddings. It's, it's immediately what we think of, right? We think of weddings. When we think of 1 Corinthians 13, it's because love has a certain connotation for many of us. It's nice. Weddings are nice. They're sweet. We think of romantic feelings. We think of Valentine's Day. We think of couples who've fallen head over heels in love, and so they decided to get married. That's kind of our connotation. That's how we feel about love. It's, so, it's just something we carry around with us. We don't intend to do this, but this is what we carry around. It's our feelings about love. But the context of Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 13 show us that a lot more is going on here than we think. In this passage, Paul proclaims the primacy of love, he reveals the posture of love, and he assures us of the permanence of love. I apologize in advance for alliterating a three-point sermon for you. <laughs> it's not normally how these things go, but here we go. So the primacy of love, the context for Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 13 is not a wedding. It's not a wedding ceremony where love is in the air. It's, in the, it's intense relational dysfunction, if you've let, read any of 1 Corinthians, where sin is in the air. That's what's in the air in Corinth. A lot of nonsense. The Corinthian church was a mess, it seems. They were constantly trying to one-up each other in these status games to prove who is better than others. They brag about who baptized them. They boast at having better spiritual gifts than the others, more important than the others, and they seek to demonstrate their superior status by flaunting their wealth and humiliating the poor at their Eucharist gatherings. And Paul, throughout this letter, is seeking to draw them back into the mutuality and the solidarity of being members of one another giving and receiving the gifts of the Spirit that are poured out among them. And then he says in the introducing the passage that we read today, and now I will show you a more excellent way. And launches into the First Corinthians 13 to, to declare the primacy of love. Love is the more excellent way. Love is not just another spiritual gift. It's not even the most important spiritual gift. Love is how all the gifts work themselves out in a community. If I speak in the tongues of mortals and of angels, Paul says, but I don't have love, that's too bad. No, <laughs> it's worse than that. I'm a noisy gong. I'm a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and I understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but I don't have love, I lose a little bit. No, I'm nothing. I'm nothing without love. If I give away all my possessions and if I hand over my body that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. To have an impressive gift without love is to have nothing, and worse than nothing, really, because without love, knowledge and power and gifts can be used to divide and conquer and hurt. So against all of our modern assumptions, love is not just for weddings and for Valentine's Day. Love is first. Love is all. 
Love is the way without which we have nothing, gain nothing, are nothing. The primacy of love. Second, the posture of love. Paul then goes on to reveal this posture of love in a series of statements that directly contrast the ways that the Corinthian church was behaving. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable. It's not resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things. It believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. This is the opposite of the jockeying for position and status and honor that was going on in the Corinthian church. And where does Paul get this description of love? It's beautiful. We would agree. That's why it's read at weddings. It is a beautiful description of love. But Paul gets this from Jesus, of course. Even though Jesus is never named here, God is actually not named here, which makes it a convenient passage for weddings if you don't necessarily want to refer to God, right? So, um, but God's not named here. Jesus is not named here. But all of this description of what love is, the posture of love, comes from Jesus for Paul. Jesus who demonstrates what love truly is and how love works itself out among us through the Spirit. And this love is not just sentimental. It's not just nice. This is a fierce, tenacious, rugged love that doesn't need to be balanced with anything. This love is social and political. It rearranges the way the power works among us. This love tells the truth, even when it hurts. This love confronts and upends systems of oppression and injustice. This love pulls down rulers from their thrones and lifts up the lowly. This love is what drives Jeremiah's call that we heard about. And it's powerful to pluck up and to pull down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant, to rearrange the world inside the kingdom of God. This love is what drives Jesus to give his hometown a word that they did not like but they most desperately needed to hear. Love, think about this, love is what made them violently angry at Jesus. Jesus' love is what made them violently angry. And Jesus' love, and and love is what Jesus trusted to rescue him from the hand of the wicked and from the grasp of the unjust and the cruel as the psalmist prayed. Love, as it is described here, is not, in, this, is, this is crucial and important, so much of this is crucial and important, but hear this, if nothing else. Because sometimes we read this description of love and we think, I got to try harder to do that better. Anybody ever feel that? Man, I got to try harder to be more patient. I should be more kind. Man, I'm always irritable, especially when the kids interrupt me, right? We, we, we think of these as, indi- as an individual virtue for me to cultivate. But friends, this is not what Paul is declaring here. Paul doesn't say, you should be more patient. Paul says, love is patient. And then he tells us, love abides. Friends, this description is a description of how God works among us. Love is present among us. This is not an individual virtue for me as an individual to cultivate, but it's a communal reality that we consent to. Love is present, and we can just participate in it. This isn't a list of things to try harder to do better. This is an invitation to consent and participate in the reality that we actually live in. Love abides. 
God's love has been poured out among us through the Holy Spirit, and God's love is with us. And so we learn to pay attention. We learn to see how it works itself out among us, and we consent. We allow love. In the midst of the anxiety and the excitement of our community moving into a new context, love abides, and love will hold us together, and God's love flows among us, and as we consent to participate in this love, we grow together, beloved, into maturity as the Spirit-graced body of Christ. Let's keep trusting love to lead us into this new season together. The final P of this three-point sermon is the permanence of love. Finally, Paul assures us of the permanence of love. He says, love never ends. This powerful force, this presence among us that is doing such good work among us, the good news is that that presence will never get tired. It will never wear out. It never becomes obsolete. Love is all we need and love will be all we need forever. And love's up for the task. Prophecies and tongues and knowledge, sure, they're great as far as they go. But eventually they'll come to an end because we won't need them anymore. Because we will have grown up into maturity as Christ's body, no longer looking through the fog, but seeing face to face, bathed and completed in love, knowing fully just as we are fully known. And now, Paul says, faith, hope, and love, these three abide. They abide. And the greatest of these that abide among us is love. We get to participate in the life of the age to come now by consenting to love and allowing love to do its work in us and through us. So as always, let's respond to this call today, this good news today, by coming to encounter this love in the body and blood of Jesus at the altar. This is the source from which all love flows, God's presence among us, given to us in embodied form. And then, beloved, let us embody this love with one another. Let's resolve conflict with each other. Let's tell the truth about ourselves to each other. Let's forgive one another. Let's work out the inevitable hurt feelings and disappointments that come with life together. Let's learn to notice and rectify the ways that we perpetuate injustice among ourselves. And then, beloved, let us consent to God extending this love outward from us, sending us out vulnerable and permeable, eager to join with others in new places and allow new life to take whatever shape the Spirit wills. Like our Lord some people may be upset with this. Many people might. They called Jesus a glutton and a drunkard, and they might accuse us of being fools for trusting love. They might accuse us of falling for fashionable theology. They might accuse us of being secretly Marxist <laughs> or socialists or heretics or worse. At least no one's tried to throw us off a cliff yet. <laughs> yeah. Thankfully, we live in a very flat state. Yeah. <laughs> but beloved, whatever comes, 
Whatever comes, let's trust love to lead us and guide us into this next season together in the midst of the anxiety and the excitement of our community moving into a new context, a new place, new relationships, new geography, new neighborhood. Love abides, and love will hold us together. God's love right now, right here, flows among us. And as we consent to participate in this love, we grow together into maturity as the Spirit-graced body of Christ. Let's trust love to hold us as we walk into the next season of our life together. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.